trying not to get in the way of whatever's happening over here. <laughs> yeah, I always say whenever the Lord has cut him loose, it's a blessing to all of us. And my job then is to just be out of the way. Thank God for you being here today. We're grateful for another opportunity to come and to share in a worship experience. I'm grateful to God that uh, you decided that today you needed to show up and be a part of this worship experience. I'm grateful to those who have joined us in another medium. We've quickly come to realize that whether you're here or wherever you are, through the technology we have, you're in worship with us. And so we thank God for that. But if you're going to be here and you're not physically present, I'm going to ask you to be here with us. Be in this space. I know what the distractions of home can be or wherever you are. But ask, asking the Lord now to bless you with a focus so you can fully participate and pray for us in this place. And not just them, you who are here in the sanctuary, pray for us that this, this sermon, this worship service will be all that God intends it to be. Yeah. Sometimes we get too myopic in our view of what a worship service is. Uh, you know, it's just the choir, it's just the preacher preaching, it's just the musician playing, but the reason the Lord has you here is because you are an active participant. Yeah, your, your role matters in this worship experience, and it helps to make it unique. And so you too be here, all right? Don't be after church. Whatever you have to do, be right here with us right now and pray for our togetherness in the Lord. I started a sermon series last week that's entitled, Simple, Simple Series, it's called Stories That Change the World. Stories That Change change the world or can change your life. And I think that some stories have the power once heard to make a big difference in who we are. They become a part of us. And if we bring them into our spirit, into our life culture, it can make a difference in how we move. Because some of us didn't grow up with people giving wisdom to us and, and giving guidance to us. And we've had to learn those, those, those things in life in different ways. And sometimes it's as simple as a story being told to us. And that's all the Bible is in some respects. It's a big collection of stories. I'm glad to be here with you. I'm gonna tell you today, I'm running on fumes, to be honest with you. I've been in South Carolina all weekend, from Thursday until last night. We got home about 11 o'clock last night. And, uh, and so I'm, 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 I'm glad to be here with you this morning. Let me just say that. As a, as a, as somehow that's a long drive from Columbus, I mean from uh, Charleston, South, South Carolina. We were there to celebrate a life, all right, to celebrate a life. Now, it was a funeral, but we went to celebrate a life. Over the course of three days, we celebrated uh, our brother-in-law's mother, 88 years old, and a trooper and a leader who had been a member of a church for 80 years. 80 years, a member of one church. That's worth celebrating. Yeah, now that, that, she didn't stay in, in that area the whole time, but she never changed her membership. 
And she never stopped loving the Lord from when she found out who he was to her. And she raised her only child in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And she had the presence of mind to say, when the Lord calls me to go home, I want to go back to my home. And so we did. We went and celebrated her. And I found out there's a lot of history that we don't talk about that's relevant to our communities. We're talking about HBCU Day. We need to talk more about what, what, what these HBCUs mean. Found out she was one of the original students in a school called the Rosenbaum School. Rosenbaum School. That might not mean anything to you unless you grew up in a rural part of America, particularly in the South. But they were already trying not to let us get education. But it always took right-thinking people with means and resources to get things together. And it just so happened one of those right-thinking people was the owner of Sears and Roebuck Company. And he, along with another notable African-American, well, he was Jewish. He was Jewish. But he, along with a notable member in our history, Booker T. Washington, got together and created over 5,000 schools across America. They had over 5,000 school buildings built so that children in rural America, particularly black kids, could go to school. And we don't even talk about this now. She was one of the first students in that area to benefit from what's called a Rosenbaum school. I found it particularly ironic that generations have benefited from this legacy left by the Rosenbaum School, found it really ironic that a young boy who was born in South Carolina whose mother benefited from a Rosenbaum School got together with a girl who was born in Macon County, which is where Booker T. Washington was, and the Lord brought them together through college. Two generations later, God is putting people together. Education became the great motivator and connector for them to get together, see what happens when you do what God wants you to do. You may not see the seed or the fruit of the seed you plant, but that doesn't mean it's not, it's not growing. And now all those kids have been produced and all of them are getting college education. That's the, that's the benefit of these HBCUs. We didn't create HBCUs just because we wanted to create our own thing. We created HBCUs because the things that were out there we couldn't get into. They wouldn't allow us to have access to them. And so we had to create something for the betterment of our people, and that's the power of historically black colleges. You should know Alabama has more historically black colleges than any other state in the nation. Yeah, we do. I think we have 14 in Alabama, 14 if I'm not mistaken. That's a good thing. It'd be different if you were born independently wealthy and didn't have, well, you still need education if you do that. But now, nah, most of us don't have those kinds of means. That's the parable I want to talk to you about today. The story I want to talk to you about. About somebody who was born into what I consider the top of luxury and messed it up. <laughs> messed it up. If you got your Bible with you, let's go and talk about this parable in the gospel according to St. Luke. 
chapter 15, the gospel according to St. Luke. You know this story probably in ways you don't think you do, but maybe we can highlight some things today that will help you understand why I think of most stories in the Bible, this has to be one of the greatest parables or stories in the Bible. Yeah. The chapter in Luke chapter 15 is a chapter about being lost. The whole chapter is about lostness and the value of things that are lost. That's what chapter 15 is about. We always go in this chapter and start at verse 11. That is, in fact, an excellent one, and we're going to talk about it today. But that's not the start of chapter 15. All right. We're going to talk about today the lost son. Some of you know it as the parable of the prodigal son. But in the Bible, it's called the parable of the lost son. Why? Because it fits the theme of the parable, I mean, of the chapter, lostness. What was first lost in chapter 15, if you read it, there was a lost sheep. And Luke writes about the value of that sheep. Somebody ought to hear me and shout when I tell you that the Bible says that God will leave the 99 and come find the one that's lost. That's how important a lost sheep is to the shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep, but he'll leave the 99 to go find the one. That's counterintuitive to how we think. Most of us won't leave the bulk of what we have to go find one. And I came to tell you, that's why God is a good God. And, and that's why you can't question what he does because he doesn't do it like we do it. He'll leave 99 and come find you if you're the one that's lost. And then the, the way the writer gives us these stories is increasing value. And so the next thing that's lost is a coin, a lost coin. It seems that the owner of the house had cleaned the house, and when they finished, they had lost of the 99 coin. They, of the coins they had, they had lost one. And the Bible said that the owner would not stop until that coin was found, because that's how important it was. Most of us got enough coins lost in our house to pay a small bill for somebody. You go look through pockets and clothes and pocketbooks and cushion money. Yeah, wash and dry. D said, you got money in your wash and dry? What you say? He says it's in there. Is it wet? <laughs> it's money. Okay. Yeah, wherever. What I'm saying is we get to the place where we take for granted the resources that other people need to live on because we have such an abundance of material things. That with some people, I guarantee right now, I can go to somebody's house, most of y'all's house right now, y'all got a jar of coins sitting in your house. I wonder how much money we could raise if I just ask you to bring the jars of coins that you have sitting around your heart, your spare change. 
your spare change, money you don't even think about. You just bring, don't count it, just bring the job as it is. I bet we can raise so much money on money we don't even care about. We don't even care about. I know it because I got a couple of them jobs sitting around right now. I ain't even talking about the baby's banks. Piggy banks. The pig's full. And the baby don't even know the money in the bank. I mean, they, they don't. I used to go in my sister piggy bank when we were growing up. I didn't have no piggy bank. <laughs> yeah, I still owe the pig. <laughs> I'm gonna give it back to her one day. <laughs> yeah, she didn't miss it. And I was not getting the money for a good thing either. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you that right now. And then this last one we come to, help me now, we're talking about a person. A person, how valuable is one person to the Lord? One, one person. I want you to understand how valuable people are to God. Don't raise your hand when I ask you this, because I know nobody in here believes that there are people who can be discarded. People who, who, who don't matter. Pe people whose life doesn't seem to be worth anything based on how they live or what they're going through. And, and, and so this parable, which happens to be the longest parable in the Bible, Jesus took his time standing in front of all them religious folk. Yeah, all them Sadducees and Pharisees who were at him like vipers everywhere he went. He took his time telling this parable and teaching this parable, and he went in when he was teaching it to one, and he tore down every conventional piece of wisdom that they had. He just tore it down, threw it in their face, that what you build up as an institution of righteousness is not how God operates. And that's what he uses this parable for. Let me see if I can get you uh, started. And he said, there is a man, there was a man, starting at verse 11, who had two sons. And the younger came to his father and said, Father, give me my share of the, watch this, and underline this word, estate. So he divided his property between them. That's all one verse. Verse 13 says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 14 says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his pigs lender to feed, to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but nobody gave him anything. Stop reading right there. Life has a way of befriending us, bewildering us, and then betraying us. Yeah, life can do that to us. Oh, it can, it can draw you in. It can isolate you. 
and then it can run you off. Life can do that. And this boy grew up, like I told you a few minutes ago, in the lap of luxury. And he was full of himself. This is the crown jewel of parables. Crown jewel. It concerns a wayward son, a waiting father, and a whining brother. All right? Three main characters. Yeah, this youngest son, who became the wayward one, painted the town red. Soon he was in the red, and he returned on to red carpet treatment to his daddy's household, also to his older brother's protest. That's a whole nother story. This is really a part one, part two, a sermon, because you know you can, leave, you can be lost and not leave. You can be lost and never, ever leave. Yeah, so the question is, what happens to those who have broken hearts? What's going on with our young folk who are, who are young and, and not satisfied? That's what we, we hear this all the time. Hey, everything boring. They're always looking for some stimulation. What, what, you know, everybody wants not only to have stimulation all the time, they want to be different and want to be notable, everybody. Yeah, but the last thing they want is boring. Yeah, life is boring. School is boring. Church is absolutely boring. Baseball boring. Grown folks saying my marriage is boring. Normal is boring. Math is boring. Chitlins are boring. Everything is boring. All right? Chitlins are not boring. I can tell you that right now. Summer is boring. I don't know why boring is the modifier for everything in life that, you know. <laughs> Say that again. Boring. That requires work. So at this point in life, nothing is interesting. Yeah. Eating, bathing, sleeping, all boring. <laughs> everything is. There's a designer of, uh, and it's a never, you can never conquer this, there's a designer of video games. He did a psychoanalysis, and every year, the players of video games want it to be more and more thrilling. They want them to keep making it thrilling more, you know, better, bigger, it's gotta be faster and more. But there's only so much that your mind can even digest or process, and so at some level, you can never satisfy the longing to have more and better. The human brain is wired, though, to attract novelty. We want to see something different, something new. But very shortly after we experience the something that's new, it loses its power over us, which is why they're always trying to create that something with a different twist. One of the things that people have to understand, he writes, is that boredom is a part of life. And unless you learn to master those downtimes, you'll never appreciate the thrilling times of life. You have to learn how to be okay with things just being 
okay, but that wasn't this boy. This boy, I like this part of the backstory that's not in there. I can use my sanctified imagination on what happened around that extended household. This boy was worsome. He didn't want to do no work. He didn't want to do anything. All he did was fuss all day. You know, they had their chores. He walked around, he half did his chores. Yeah, he did everything that he wanted to do, and his daddy was just watching him. Yeah, but it was his brother who was over there picking up the slack, who had to make sure that all the cattle that they, they got didn't get fed by his little brother got fed. He's doing his thing. And finally, finally, the, the younger brother heard from one of his boys down the road at another farm. He said, man, you know, you can go on after your daddy for what you got coming to you. And then you can get up out of there. That's all he wanted to hear, a way out of the boring life that he had. And so he walked around there. I wonder how long it was that he walked around before he plucked up the courage to go to his daddy. Say, you know, he had to practice it. You, you know, daddy, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grown now. I, you know, I feel like I got something to offer the world. And so I'm ready to get out there and hit it. And he probably practiced it over and over and over again. I know he did, because later in the, in the passage of Scripture, he's practicing what he's going to say to come back to his daddy. I, I know so. I know on the way out the first time, he's a rehearser. You know, some folks got to rehearse what they're going to say. Other folks real good just off the fly. You know, but that ain't him. He probably had written it down. No, that ain't going to work. Ball that up and throw it away. He probably had a pile of messages. That his brother had probably read and laughed at. Look at this nut writing all this crazy. But one day he got his dog, he cornered his daddy. And he said, Daddy, I, I'm going to leave and I want you to give me what I got coming to me. Now, let, me let me put it into the legal context. All right, so you understand what this boy is saying. I want you to understand how awful it is. Because we can read it in the scripture and we can pretty it up. And it can sound so business like. This wasn't business-like. This was an assault on his father. This was an assault on the lifestyle that his father had built, the hard work that his father had built. He basically said, Daddy, I'm coming to you like you dead. And whatever it is I'm supposed to get when you're dead, I want it today. Give it to me. Now, he didn't raise his voice. I'm sure he may have even been as respectful as he could when he said, Daddy, can you divide your estate and give me what I got coming right now? It still has the same negative effect. And the Bible says so clearly, you just heard me read it a moment ago. It says it so clearly that his father didn't hesitate. Who in the world? How many daddies I got in here right now? Raise your hand. Yeah, okay, okay. We're going to get up from here and we're going to all go to Elmwood. <laughs> all right? Like we about to live out there. And your children going to get whatever it is you got. And it's going to be theirs. Because that's essentially what this boy was saying. I'm going to treat you like you dead. And I want my part. Now let me throw this in there too. Because this is not part of what's in there. You have to study to understand that according to Jewish law, whenever a division of an estate was done prior to the actual deceased leaving here, 
that the state had to be divided according to the law. And the law said that the elder son would get two-thirds of the estate. The younger would get a third. I hope y'all hear me now. So even though the younger son is coming and asking for his part of it, the father to divide his estate properly had to give two-thirds of his estate also to the elder son. So the elder son still got his two-thirds and stayed with daddy. Yes, stayed with daddy. The younger son simply got his, and the Bible says right now, verse 13, you can't tell the passage of time in verses. It says not long after that, all right, not long after that which means as soon as old boy could take what daddy gave him, sell it as quickly as he could, exchange it for moving money, all right? Because he couldn't travel around with sheep. He couldn't travel around with animals. And so he went down the street. Theodore, can you imagine how embarrassing it was? Uh, here, come, here come little Leo, little boy. He coming down here. He's selling his daddy's sheep for two, for two cents on the dollar. Whatever he can get for it, he's selling it down the road. They built this estate up all this time, and now he's basically giving it away so he can liquidate his daddy's business. Yeah, he went to the pawn shop. You can go down there and get as many sheep as you want because he just sold them for five cents on the dollar. That's what he did to his daddy's estate. The embarrassment and the shame would have been enormous for this father. The embarrassment, but he didn't care. And as soon as he got enough coin, he got the first Uber up out of there. Yeah. And he left. And he did exactly what you thought he would do. If he didn't care enough about his dad's estate, he went to a distant country. Yeah, so if he was in Birmingham, he went to Montgomery. <laughs> All right. Maybe, maybe even Bessemer. <laughs> you know, it didn't matter. Just away. He went away. He went to a place where he met new folk. Because everybody got new friends when you got money. Yeah, when you come into a new town, you ain't got to have no friends. But when you walk in the club and you say, set it out for everybody, you got a whole new circle of friends. They're coming around you immediately, and they're going to stay as long as you taking care of the tab. You got friends. And he found out that he wasted all his money pretty quickly. And as soon as he didn't have any more money to pay the tab, guess what? They were gone. And so if I had to give you a first point out of this first part of this passage, the first thing is this that you should know. You can be, he wanted to be different. You can be different, but you don't have to be difficult, y'all. Yeah. You can be different. Everybody wants to be different. There's nothing wrong with being different. One very smart person said, you are unique, just like everybody else. All right? You are unique, just like everybody else. But somehow, we want to be that special kind of unique that makes everybody want to, I don't know, come to us, be with us, follow us right now. And it has, it has us in trouble. It has us in trouble because we can never do enough to distinguish ourselves from everybody else, and we will really do some extraordinary things trying to do it. Money can help, but when money runs out, you're in trouble, and this boy got in trouble real quickly. He uses money like Monopoly money. 
spin it. When it was gone, he's in trouble because don't you know life keeps on life and even when you're out there doing your thing and it just so happens that life in this instance brought a famine to the land. Famine to the land. Let's just say this. You out there balling and COVID hits. All right? Because that's what he was. Yeah, a terrible pandemic hit the land. Nobody had enough food, which means all the prices go up, which means the little money you thought you had, you don't have enough money because it's costing that much more money to live. And he ends up spending his money really quickly, and he goes into poverty in a land and a space when he has nobody. Nobody. I always feel sorry for people. I saw some friends, and I, and I got some friends that I met when I was at Tuskegee, who got stuck at Tuskegee. Oh, yeah, they, they literally got stuck at Tuskegee. Anybody who went to school, they know folk like this. They started out in school, and then they couldn't stay in school, probably because they didn't have enough money. More likely, they didn't have enough discipline to follow it. I always tell folk, when you send your child to school, part of their job is to go to school. The other part of their job is to figure out how to stay in school, <laughs> all right? That, they, they're supposed to know where you get money from, what the scholarships are, what kind of job they can get on, what a work study. You spend your time doing that so you can stay in school and get out. That's part of growing up. That's part of learning how to be successful when you learn how to put all that together and you learn that I can tell you learn that uniquely at HBCUs because they typically run lower on revenue and don't have as much to give you. You better get a hustle on. That's why that's why I figured out I had to get a work study job, I had to get an ROTC scholarship, I had to put all this together just so I could stay in school and graduate. Because it wasn't no picking up the phone and calling and saying, hey, my tuition due. That would have been met with a, um, you know, an uncomfortable situation and I knew not enough not to put my foot in that place. I had borrowed as much money as I could. And there was still a balance due on the account. All right? And until, I don't care what you do, they say, but you better, you're not going to them classes until you get this balance straight. That's, that's just how it is. And when you look around, nobody there has any answers for you because they're in the same situation. Yeah. I wish I could tell you that I ran for the SGA office at Tuskegee because I was so convinced I needed to be able to help other students out as a student defender. It would be a lie to tell you that I ran primarily because I got a work study check to go with it. Oh, and by the way, I helped folk out while I, was, while I was there, but I needed this income every month so I could stay in this space, and I had to work some serious politics in order to get that SGA position. I had to get some friends and frat brothers not to run. Oh, I, I mean, I was politicking so that my name could be the only one on that ballot. <laughs> Yeah, and it, it, it worked. Made some promises I had to later come back and keep because people had been good to me. That's where you learn. Politics one-on-one -on -one in college. You learn those things. And, and so here this boy is. But I said all that to say people go to college and they get stuck. They get to a community where they're supposed to be getting an education academically and what they end up doing is getting schooled in life. And because they can't stay in school, but they can't come back home either. And so they stay in the area. And you keep coming back for homecoming, and you keep seeing them there. 
Hey, man, what's up? How you doing? Everything all right? Oh, yeah, man, I'm cool. Hey, you know, I just decided to stay in, in town and work. That's what they say. And I saw I had friends who were there 10, 15 years after I graduated. They're still in town because they're stuck. Some of them may have gotten a degree, but most of them didn't. They had become a part of the fabric of Tuskegee. And I expected to see them when I came to Tuskegee. Some of them were frat brothers who just couldn't, couldn't get over the hump and get out. But the point is, when you get there, you got to have people around you who can help you. And this prodigal didn't know anybody. He was there by himself. He's not in a big area like Birmingham where you can kind of hide in some area. He's in a small area, and the only people who would help him were the folk who were farmers. And this Jewish boy, Tyrone, had to go work for the hog farmer. That's the only one he could come to. You got to know, this was the lowest and most debased job he could ever find. He was starving literally to death. And that's what happens when you get away from your underlying foundation. you got to be able to stay. He was too far away from his daddy. But guess what happens when God brings you that, lie, that low after you've been this high? You start remembering. And you start thinking. And that's what I see in this scripture. He starts saying, man, you know I had it pretty good back in my daddy's house. This is the same one who was so eager to get out of his daddy's house. He starts saying, my daddy take care of everybody in this house. Even the servants in my daddy's house got it real good. Even the people, not just the servants, there's two languages in here. There are the household servants in his daddy's house. They're a part of the family. When daddy eats, the household servants eat. When daddy does anything, he has a responsibility to take care of his servants like they're members of the family. And then there are the day wage people who come on his daddy's farm. They don't get all the benefits of the household table. Daddy just pays them a day wage when they come, and they have to take care of themselves, someone else, guess what? When he starts dreaming, we always use the word servant, but the, the word that's used in scripture implies he's not going to go back as a member of the household, he's going to go back as a day worker. I'm not trying to come back in, daddy, and get all the benefits that I got. Just let me be one of the ones who comes in one day at a time and get some benefit. This is how low and how much his, his thinking had changed because life was bringing about a change on him. Can you imagine how depressed he was? Things have been so good. But one thing you're going to learn about, and this is the whole point of this parable, God never closes the door. God never closes the door. People close the door. People will write you off and tell you, don't call me no more. Now, I know we were boys and everything, but I can't help you, man. I got my own situation going on right now, and I'm sorry. Just, you know, I'll holler at you. They won't even wave at you. You see them out in public, and you're like, hey, man, what's up? They just, yeah, all right, move on, because they're afraid you're going to put some pressure on them to help them out. God doesn't do that. If you read this parable, this is why it's the most beautiful parable in the world, because when this boy left after slapping his daddy, when this boy left after telling his brother, see, you wouldn't want to be you, when he told him all this, when he left, his daddy never stopped loving him. 
Never stop looking for him. The Bible says clearly that the daddy would get up every day looking down the road to see if his son was going to come back again. He get up every day. Can you imagine what he did when he went to the Daddy still had to go to the market and face all that shame that came from his son. But can you imagine how he listened? Because people are going to make sure you hear the gossip. Folks sitting over there talking, you say, now I heard his son down there in Bessemer. Yeah, well, why I got to be Bessemer? All right, Brighton. <laughs> Brighton, Fairfield, Lipscomb. <laughs> all right, West End. Okay, West End. I heard his son down there in West End. And uh, you know they say he ain't got no job down there. Now daddy was acting like he was buying some meal, but daddy was really getting the 411 on what was going on with his son because when you got a child that's out there lost, you want information from anywhere, you can get it. Even if other folk mean the information for bad, you got your hope hanging on it, at least he's still alive. At least he's still alive. I've heard that he's still doing okay. That's what you want to hear from them. And the Bible says that he looked every day and he told his servants, because he, you don't know this if you haven't read it, the father in this parable is representative of God. All right? You and I are the other players. We're either the lost one that left or the lost one that stayed. But either way, it's you and I the other one. Now you got to figure out which one you are today because the roles might change depending on where your life is. Maybe you were a, a prodigal who left and made it back. Or maybe you were a prodigal who stayed and came to yourself. But either way it goes, our father has never closed the door. Yeah. And that's why the second point in this is you may be, this boy depressed. This boy working with hogs. He doesn't have enough money to go get him a, a cook. What is it, cookout? He ain't got that. Now, you can get, you can get like four meals for $3 at cookout. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I mean, I don't really know how, but, but anyway, I, I mean, I understand why they're so cheap. But, but it's anyway, this boy can't do anything. He is tempted to eat the pig's food. That's how bad life has him. And that's why he starts reminiscing about what's going on in his daddy's house. And I'll go back and be a day wage earner. He said, and so I came to tell you, you may be depressed, but you should not be deceived about what your daddy intends for you. I want you to know this. You may be depressed. You may feel bad. You may not be able to put it all together, but never be deceived, my friend. God is still watching for you. He's still waiting on you. He still wants you to be back in his house because he loves you. And he gets up every day waiting on you to come back. The only, the only problem you got is you got to put pride down enough to turn and go back home and face what you messed up. And that's the biggest barrier in your life. Can I put pride down? Can I go home and swallow that and say, Daddy, I was wrong. I left here the wrong way. I disrespected you before the, the, the community in this household. This is what he was practicing to say. See, I told you he was a rehearser. He sat down there in that pig pen. He was like, I'm saying, Daddy, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I'm stand up tall. Daddy, 
I'm a man now like you wanted me to be. I'm daddy. He was trying to practice it. Coming down the road, he still, Casanova's trying to rehearse it before he get there, you know. He want, I'm going to look him square in the eye because he always told me to hold my head up and, uh, and I'm going to put my hand up and shake his hand. And he said he's walking down there to talk to his daddy and guess what happened? His daddy met him. No, no, y'all don't understand what this means now. You, you, you don't understand. No, 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 no. I want you to get the full extent of this. In that culture, men wore draping clothing. All right? They wore draping clothing. And so what they did not do is run, all right? It was considered, it was considered uh, inappropriate for them to run. The Bible says that this man met his son on the road, rushed to him. In other words, I'm not going to wait for you to get the strength to make it down the road. I'm so happy to see you. I'm going to run in public. I'm going to expose my emotions to the whole community. I'm going to meet my dirty, filthy, backstabbing son on the road and let the world know that he's mine. Not only that, the backstory of this is when the boy left, the dad had turned to the servants in the house and said, do two things. He said, I want y'all to, to put this together. I want you to put a robe in there. I'll let you know when we're going to use and I want you to have another one of my rings made. Put it in there, and I'll tell you what to do with it. And by the way, go down there in the flock, I mean herd, and I want you to pull whatever the best-looking calf is, and I want you to put him in the stall over there, and you feed him until I tell you we're going to use him. In the Bible, the fatted calf, everybody who worked every day, Knew about Cinnabel. We're going to call the fatty calf Cinnabel, all right? Yeah, Cinnabel over there. Cinnabel don't hardly touch the ground. She eat all the favorite hay. They come in there and they rub it around with milk. Cinnabel is beautiful and fat and just sitting there eating. Now, everybody know in the end what's going to happen to Cinnabel. They just don't know when it's going to happen. To Cinnabelle, but when Cinnabelle come through, she fed on buttermilk. She fed on everything that's good. Guess who else sees it? The son who didn't leave. He watches Cinnabelle every day. What are we going to do with Cinnabelle? We and daddy are going to have a party for Cinnabelle. And what are you going to do with that that's in, there in, his car, in his closet? Can you imagine his chagrin when the day the son comes back? Because he's been going to the market too. And he been sitting around with his boys. His boy said, man, I heard about your brother over there, over there in West End. Yeah, they say he hanging out with Harvest, man, you know. And, and you know, some of the friends like to hear that. And so they bring the news to him. He's not hearing it for the same reason that his dad is hearing it. He's hearing it because he's jealous. He's hearing it because he's mad. He's hearing it because he has always had an inferiority complex. He feels like he has worked hard and never got his come up for what daddy owes him. And so when he sees daddy, you know, he out in the field and, and, and suddenly there's a ripple that goes through the farm. All the servants say, what's going on? What, master, master running. They don't understand why he's running. And they all run out to see what could make the master lose his composure like this. 
And what makes him lose his composure is that his son is coming down the block right now. And he runs and he meets him. Everybody is ecstatic except for his big brother who's sitting in the cut. Saying, what in the world? You mean you running for this? Him? The one who disrespected our whole household? Got us looking like fools in the market? And you going to run for him? But not only does daddy run to him and grab him in his, all his filthiness and hug him and says, my son, who has watched this word, lost. Not just gone, he was lost. Is now found, somebody in here sitting up today with a nice outfit on has been lost. And now you found, and he hugs him. And he draws him in, and in the same breath, Deborah, he turns to his folk and say, today is the day, go get that robe. Today is the day, go get that ring. Today is the day, go get Cinnabelle. Because Cinnabelle going to the, to the oven today, we about to have a party like no other. The whole community at the farm is ecstatic because they see any man who can treat his low-down, wayward son like this got to be somebody. I want to be a part of his family. If they can treat, and look, 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 look. The boy had been rehearsing what to say, never had to say a word. Somebody in here been trying to figure out how to come back home. I came to tell you, just come back home. Just come back home. Don't worry about what to say. Don't worry about what you did. Daddy didn't say, Daddy didn't come down the road and say, now hold up now, boy. Tell me where you been. Tell me what her name was. All right, you didn't ask for no inquisition. How long did you stay there? Do you have any of the money left? He didn't ask him none of that because none of it matters. The only thing that matters is that you come home. That you just come, come, come back home. The only thing that matters is that you know that God never shuts the door on you coming back home. It's always, always, always open. The Father's actions are breathtaking by those standards. That's why I came to tell you in this, in this whole chapter on lostness, he'll leave the 99 and come find one sheep. He'll tear the house up and come find one corn. Can I tell you, he'll, he'll completely expose himself to ridicule and shame and being beaten and, 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 and crucified in order for you to make it home. Y'all don't know, he'll die for you. This, this father is willing to give the best he has in heaven just so you can come home. And when you come home, he's not going to ask you what you did when you were out there in the world because it doesn't matter. All that matters is that you come back into the household. And I came to tell you today, most of us, the only problem we got is between our ears. That's the only problem we got. What we have done, we think is a barrier to us getting, be uh, getting better. So don't be deceived. Don't fool yourself. God is watching you. And then the last thing is this, on that boy that never left. Daddy has to take a moment out of the merriment out of the exaltation that he feels because his son has come home. The one who got out and made it back. 
he has to stop the merriment. The Bible says that the dad had gone into the party. Read the rest of the verses. The dad had gone into the party, and one of the servants had to come to him and say, Master, Master, big brother won't come in. Oh, daddy got to stop celebrating to step outside of the party to talk to the brother who refuses to come in to the party. He refuses to come in. In fact, he refers to his brother as your son. You know, that's a slap. Not my brother. He, he, the daddy said, your brother who was lost, your brother who was lost is not found. He didn't call him his brother, he called him your son. Your son. He said, I've been here all this time. Starts, goes in, pulls up his phone, Britt. Pull his phone up, go to his monster.com account. Pull his monster.com account up, goes to his resume. Start putting his resume out and reading his resume to his dad. He said, I've been here with you the whole time. He said, I've been doing all the work. I've been dealing with all the shame. I've been dealing with all the problems. And watch this now. Here come the real grievances. You never killed a fatty kid for me. Not a calf. See, see, a calf was big. A calf was huge. A calf was special. A kid is nothing. That's almost the difference between a foot-long uh, coney and a pup. One of them little Sneaky Pete pups. Yeah, he said, you never even gave me a Sneaky Pete pup, but you gave him a foot-long coney. And he said to him, son, everything I had was always available to you. You had everything. Now, now, now what's not said by the son that's, that won't come in the party is I still got two-thirds of your income. What's not said is all the stuff that he got when his little brother got his come up. Yeah, he never acknowledged that he had to get his distribution too, Miss Lawyer. He got his sitting in his 401k down at J.P. Morgan. But he ain't talking about that. All he's talking about is the fact that you never gave me a party. Yeah, see, people will throw away folk because they don't feel celebrated enough. They don't feel recognized enough. It doesn't matter what the benefits they've already had. And so this is the last thing I need you to know, and you got it. You should be decent, but don't ever think you deserve it. All right? You need to be decent. But don't ever think you deserve. It's always by grace, always by God's favor that you get whatever you want. And see, that's our problem. We always think we deserve something. I worked hard. I earned this. How many other folk work hard? How many other folk work hard and never get the benefits you got? Never. I saw, I'm out of here. I saw this boy work 27 years at Burger King. Never missed a day. Everybody acknowledges he never missed a day. Manager came in one day and celebrated his 26 years and gave him a bag, a bag, one of the store bags, I'm sure, that had like a couple of coupons, a couple of coupons, a pen, let's say, like celebrating you. And I think Maybe they had a cupcake or a cake for him. This is after 27 years. He never missed 
a day at work. And this is the, this is the celebration he got. He didn't complain. It's all the folk around him that said he must be out of his mind. No, he never felt he deserved any more than the paycheck that they gave him. And so anything else that they gave him was a gift. And I came to tell you, we think that because we've done something a certain period of time or in a certain place, we deserve something. This boy who didn't leave thought he deserved something. And all he ever needed, his father had given to him. And I came to tell you that if you learn that, then you have learned the essence of this, of this uh, story of this prodigal, the one who left and the one who stayed. So let me ask you this. Which one are you? Which one were you? Where do you stand in this parable? Do you understand that if you're outside of the household, God is waiting on you. He simply wants you to return. That's all. He wants you to be a part of the household. And oh, what a party we'll have. And if you're in the household with him and yet you feel underappreciated, you feel like you've never gotten your just dessert, you feel like he's never paid enough attention to you, I can tell you right now by the way he addressed the older son that he loves you and has never stopped loving you. And you have the ability to have everything that's within his household. You simply have to, watch this, get over yourself. That's hard to say, but it's true. You simply got to think that he and know that he loves you. And so here today, I extend an invitation to you to come into our household. Here today, I give this opportunity for you to be a part of what we are, and that's a family. Here today, I came to tell you that he's waiting, he's looking, he's watching for you. Won't you come home today? Don't let another day go by where you're living in a foreign place. That means outside of the household. Today is the day. Whosoever will, let him come right now.